Finance and Leadership, FTI's Financial Services Podcast. FTI is a global advisory firm. We help organizations manage change, mitigate risk, and resolve disputes. I'm your host, Tilsia Toledo. I have over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. This show is about the people I've met along the way and leading during uncertain times. You will hear from finance executives, law firm partners, dedicated government professionals, and many others. Today's guest is Simone Vinicor, highly regarded for her product and markets knowledge and demonstrated ability to build long-term relationships with clients. Simone is a financial advisor and financial planning specialist with Morgan Stanley. Simone, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tilsia. I am thrilled to be here with you. This is so exciting. Simone, I've known you for so many years. We go way back to our banking days and your career, even since banking, is so fascinating. Talk to me a little bit about what caused you to make the move from corporate banking into wealth management. That's something that I get asked a lot, actually. It's a great question. There's basically three things I think that pushed me in this direction. Some of them were a little short term and some are a little percolating over the years. So first of all, about 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, I co-chaired the FWA's International Conference to Brazil. And at the time, the economy was doing really well. It was coming out of hyperinflation. And the government was trying to figure out how on earth they were going to stimulate savings and investing in a population that was used to spending money the minute they got it. So what they did was they created a morning show, kind of like a Sesame Street for kids with characters to drill into their heads these concepts of saving and investing in each character. One was for saving and spending and investing. And of course, I had kids myself and we thought this was such a fabulous idea. Why weren't we doing this in the States? And I saw the lack of this type of information in the school system. It doesn't matter if it's public or private. Very few schools have this type of financial literacy in the curriculum. So that sat in the back of my head over time. And then also the timing was right, I think, in my career. I had achieved some really significant milestones. I made managing director. I had done a lot of acquisition financing deals. A lot of them were with you. I was a leader in DE&I, the diversity space, and I thought it was a good time to make a change. And I had listened to so many women say, you know, life is not a straight line. Think about taking risks. And I'm horribly risk averse myself. But I thought, you know, if I'm ever going to do this, this is a really good time to do this. And watching where wealth management was going in the industry and finance, it was becoming more and more of a prominent part of the discussion around finance. And all the banks seemed to be getting into it one way or another. So that was really great. And then thinking about what do I want my legacy to be in finance? I had done so much work having my own two kids, working with the Financial Women's Association educating people. And I thought this is really a great way to spend a good part of my career. And if I was going to do it, now is the time. I didn't want to wait another 10 years to try to make the move. And the platform was right. I didn't want to be pushed into a platform where I had to sell one product because that's what you and I had been used to our whole careers, meet the clients where they are and what they needed help with. I found that product neutral and the global market platform that was really informed by global capital markets because that's how we grew up in the global capital markets. So the time was really right. 
That is so great. And I like the fact that it started with this morning show. And financial literacy is a cause that I strongly support. I've been involved in a number of different initiatives as, you know, we're recording this for it to be released in April, which is Financial Literacy Month. So what are some of the things that even the smartest person may neglect to do when it comes to financial literacy? First of all, Happy April Financial Literacy Month to all of the listeners out there. So you're doing a great service just with this podcast. Secondly, it's a good question. It's a little loaded by saying what some of the smartest people do. I have a lot of people who are clients who feel badly that they feel they should be doing more and knowing more. Look, we all have busy lives. And here's some of the things that I see that people get caught up in and they forget to do just because they are professionals and they have busy lives. Number one, fund your 401ks. If you're in academia, it's a 403b. Or if you have an IRA, fund it to the max. Some people only fund it to the match, but fund it to the max that you can. Just set it and forget it. It's really, truly one of the best ways that you can invest in yourself because usually people do it on a monthly or paycheck basis. So your dollar cost averaging into the market and over time, it smooths out the peaks and the valleys of when you put your money in. And then number two, and this is a big one, double check that you've got your beneficiaries listed on there the way you want them. A lot of people set up their 401ks. I've had situations where people pass away and there is no beneficiary on those accounts. So if you have any accounts, take the time out this month and double check your beneficiary information, especially if you've gone through a divorce or a death in the family and you still have that legacy set up for your retirement accounts, please, please, please double check that. We don't want you to be surprised when you actually have to deal with all that paperwork. That leads me to another topic. And this is a bit of a sensitive one for many people. Get your estate documents together, please. There are four things you should have. You should have a will. You should have a power of attorney. You should have a health care directive and a health care proxy. I can't tell you how many people I know who don't have this for a couple of reasons. Some are cultural. They just don't want to think about this. They think by having a will, it's somehow tempting fate. Slight newsflash, we're all going to die. It's just a matter of when and how. Or maybe there's conflict in the family and you don't know who you want to leave your, your assets or especially your children to. You do not want the state to have to make that decision for you. You don't want this all to go to the government. All the money and all your assets and your children or any other dependents, how they're going to be taken care of. It's not an easy topic for many people to get their heads around, but please take this month to sit down, reach out, find a good attorney if you don't have one, and go through and get this paperwork together. You'll feel much better if you do, I promise you. And I know that we often talk about self-care and things like that. I'm also curious, are there some other strategies that you use to support financial well-being? We talk about health a lot, but we don't really talk about having a healthy relationship with money. And money is the one topic that Americans don't want to talk about. 
they don't want to talk about their money. They're happy to talk about <laughs> other people's money, but they don't want to talk about their money. And it's a huge cultural taboo. It's kind of ironic because we are the strongest, most powerful capitalist country on earth, and yet we don't talk about money. So I don't know how we're going to have this legacy continue of understanding capitalism if we don't talk about money. So, I mean, here's an example. People studies have shown are even more happy to talk about sex in the city, but you don't have a show called Money in the City. It's just really interesting. And I think that's a family trait. People will grow up in families where their parents will never talk about money. They just don't want to share that with their kids. They feel it's very private. And again, you know, those people will often not have a will. So that's putting a huge amount of pressure on the next generation to figure it out when they're gone. That's never a good situation at all. They may feel in high-powered environments like New York and D.C. that everyone's doing better than them. So they don't want to talk about money. They're afraid that they're going to show weakness. And that is absolutely not the case. And I can promise you that there is no one fact pattern that just because you have this title in this career that you're in this situation. There's literally no judgment. And I think once you come out of that box that you've put yourself in, you're willing to read up more about money, talk about it with the right people, your financial advisor, your accountant, your lawyer, as you're doing your estate, you start developing a healthier respect for money and a healthier attitude to it. And you know, and you can use it as a tool to get you to where you want to go. Start reading up a little bit more about money and about personal finance. And if it's not something that directly interests you or you find it really difficult to overcome, then reach out to experts and have them help you just so that you are not caught unaware and that you're able to plan for yourself. I completely agree. It's interesting how you can go to a fancy university, come out with a four-year oh, college yeah. degree, and still not have all the tools that you need to understand in terms of managing your funds. It's part of the reason why I do take financial literacy months so seriously. And let's face it, it should be all year round, quite frankly, when you think about how important it is. Oh, absolutely. And, and I personally think it should be embedded in every school curriculum. I know the FWA, we have a financial backpack and financial literacy efforts in the New York area. It's not like it wouldn't dovetail into mathematics classes. Global markets could be part of the social studies curriculum. I mean, there's a lot of ways that understanding money better could be embedded into the general curriculum. And there's a lot of young people out there who are graduating who are very painfully aware of what their debt load is for student loans. But I will ask them, what's better to invest in crypto or fund your 401k? And by far, people are like, oh, 401k, what's that? So there's a lot of work we need to do here so that people can really prepare themselves. Funding your 401k fully for the first 10 years of your career and stopping actually leads you to a better place than if you wait 10 years and then fund for the next 10 years or 20 years just because of the impact that compounding has and growth. I hear you. And I was actually having a conversation about just that point with a member of my family who is about to turn 21 to start now. Don't wait, start now. Simone, again, I've known you for so many years, and I know that building long-term relationships is something that's really important to you. What's your approach? How do you go about making sure that you stay in touch with people? You know, I think the 
key with any long-term relationship is listening. And you really have to be able to hear what your clients, your friends, your spouse, your kids are saying, and try not to insert your own lens on their experiences or concerns. This is something that I personally believe since we're talking about women, and I think tomorrow is equal pay equality day. We can throw that in there. That women are particularly good at in terms of relationship building. But I don't think we often think about this as a really powerful skill that can be leveraged professionally. Hearing what our clients are saying and really being empathetic and trying to get to their overall concerns. I personally like doing my client meetings. If it's not in person, then during COVID, I've become the Zoom queen. To be able to see body language is really important because you can sense hesitancy when you ask, do you have a will? And they're kind of like, ooh, not sure what to do with the kids. You can explore that further and help get to a point where you can help them take that next step to plan for their estate or plan for their retirement or whatever. So listening is the number one key, I think, to building really solid relationships. I love that. Let's talk about some of the things you do outside of work. You've touched on it a little bit. You've mentioned FWA, which is the Finance Women's Association, an association I used to be a member of when I was in New York also and, and think very, very highly of. You are the immediate past president of the FWA. What did you learn about yourself during that time? This is a really good question. And it really causes me to sit back and reflect. I think what I learned the most was how to manage friendly conflict and not be afraid of outcomes where not everyone is happy. I certainly, and many women tend to be reconcilers and pleasers. We want to basically come to consensus. And I spent six years in working in the Netherlands and consensus decision-making is a big part of their corporate culture. This can be really powerful when you're building relationships, but it's really daunting in leadership. So the ability to make critical decisions quickly can be really hampered by that idea of everybody's got to be able to say yes. In our work lives, this is often easier because in our companies, we're governed by performance metrics and formal reporting structures and lines of responsibilities. In a nonprofit, it's a little bit different. You're dealing with a lot of volunteers. You need to sway them. You need to be more persuasive versus in a corporate structure where there's a hierarchy and you need to get to X and you've got a client deadline and everybody goes and does their task. So I felt a lot more weight of the responsibility of the role than I would have, say, with a similar title in a corporation. I know that that sounds kind of odd. You know, the other thing, too, is I was really the virtual president. I had about six months, six or seven months into the role that we went into lockdown and we went from an all-in-person organization to everything being done virtually. So the weight of how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the economics and the inability to do fundraising the way we were normally able to do it? That was a big challenge as well. But I'm really proud that the organization has completely changed how they've been able to focus and present its content, which ultimately leads to the ability for us to reach students and you know, the wider public on, on financial literacy issues. No, I think that's great. I mean, I think as you know, I'm also uh, involved with another organization, Women in Housing and Finance, and we had to do something very similar where I've been on the board for two years and it's been two virtual years, but somehow yeah. or the other, we've all 
figured it out and we've managed a way. And in some cases, there are things that we want to keep going even after we go back to be it in person. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're all struggling with, you know, even professionally at work, how do we manage that hybrid model? Clients enjoy not having to come into the city for a meeting and then others really do want to come in. So having both, I think, is where we're going to end up in the long run. Now, when I read your bio, and I knew some of this, but I didn't know the extent of it, Simone, I was impressed by the number of languages that you speak, Dutch, German, French. I know you lived in the Netherlands for six years. I'm sure that influenced also your worldview. So tell us a little bit about how did living abroad factor into your leadership style? I could talk about this forever. Living abroad was probably, other than marriage and having kids, the most formative thing I have ever done. I can't stress this enough, Tilsia. If you or any of the listeners on this podcast ever have the ability to leave your town, leave your state, leave your country, do it. You'll learn far more about yourself than you could possibly ever imagine. You'll see how little labels like nationality matter and how important skills and values are in working with others. It was the best decision I ever made. It really changed my whole perspective and how I worked. And you learn about yourself because you're seeing it from another person's viewpoint. Uh, You learn a lot about where you come from because you're seeing it from a completely different perspective. I know it was ultimately a catalyst as well for the work that I did on diversity councils and around DEI as well, because at some level I had the experience of being an outsider. And while that was a bit temporary in my six years abroad, and not every day, the way you know many of our colleagues and friends go through that, I know what that's like. I'll tell you a kind of a funny story. It's we had a lot of offsites all around Europe. We would have meetings. I would have client meetings, did a lot in Central and Eastern Europe. And I would go into meetings and people all knew my name. And it was awful. I had no idea. I'm like, how did they know me? They met me once and they remembered my name because I was the American girl who spoke Dutch or German or whatever it was when I was traveling. I was the unicorn. So they all remembered me, but I couldn't remember half of these people. And it just made me realize, wow, it it was just such a different experience where here in New York, I'm just another girl who works in banking. It was actually really interesting coming back because I realized I was going to be far less unique coming back to New York than I ever was living in Europe. You get a little bit used to feeling a little bit like not a rock star, but but being unique everywhere you go. I think women in finance still feel that because we're still underrepresented in the industry, but this was even to an even greater extent. So interesting. Now, as many of my listeners know, I really believe that leaders are readers. And I'm curious if there are any specific books that you recommend or that you buy for people. Is there anything that you're looking forward to reading? Just tell me, what are you thinking about as it relates to books? Okay, so for the book, you know, if I had to pick a single book that I recommend for people, it's Carla Harris's Expect to Win. I think it's got awesome career advice. Excellent book. It sounds like you know her, you know, you've read her books before. Like you, I do a lot of mentoring. I make sure that my mentees always have it. I hear of 
friend or colleague who's kind of stuck or has a career dilemma, I've said, read the Carla Harris book. It will really give you the clarity and the focus that you need to get to the next level. It's a great read. It's an easy read and it's wonderful. And then on the other side, if there's another book that I'd like to read consistently, you're going to laugh. It's Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I read it every year or I listen to the audio every year because I find it inspirational and it reminds me of the power of money to do good Mm. and, um, you know, how you can really change your life and other people's lives by, again, having a healthy relationship with money. So it's one of my all-time favorites. I love that perspective. I think the next time I read or or listen to it, I'm going to listen to it slightly differently, thanks to you. So thank you for suggesting that. So we're coming up to our time here, Simone. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners? You know, I I just would like to say that we've all gone through an incredible two-year experience that is once in a hundred years, God willing. Life is short. So really think about what's important to you and what you want your legacy, both personal and professional, to be. And then start taking the steps to really make that happen. This is Financial Literacy Month. Don't put off looking at these things. Don't put off pulling down those statements that you might have here, there, and everywhere. Get a folder. Many people started their careers. They might have pensions from their original companies. Make the phone call, get the statement, and then have it all in one place so that you're not searching through it. It's painful initially, but really take the time. And I think having that thought around money and what do you want that tool to do for you is really important. And this is a perfect month to take the steps to do those things. Oh, I love that. I think it's so important to have a healthy relationship with money and also thinking about how it can be a great tool for good is something that is loud and clear when I talk to you every single time, Simone. So thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tilsa. By the way, one of my New Year's resolutions was to eventually figure out how to do a podcast. So I want to thank you for inviting me on this. I think it's terrific. It's so much fun doing this with you. There you go. Check. Resolution done. Excellent. (laughs) Thanks, Simone. Take care, Jilcia. Thank you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email financeandleadership at fticonsulting.com.